I joined a church staff between my junior and senior year of college, which was a long time ago. And in that time frame, I have been privileged uh, to, to serve my adult life uh, in the life of the local church. And one of the things that's, that's a part of that, one of the privileges of that is I get a front row seat to forgiveness. I, I get a front row seat to seeing people who, who forgive other people, to people who find forgiveness, to, to people who lose guilt and shame uh, and, and blame, and, and they find forgiveness. And it always amazes me when, when I see people forgive, because my nature is, I'm not really sure I want to forgive you, all right? Uh, my, my, my nature is, I'm not really sure, I mean, I, I, I played football growing up, you know? I mean, it was that whole thing of, you know, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. I, you're not going to fool me the second time, all right? And, and, and so this whole thing of forgiving somebody, I mean, that, that's not always easy, for any of us, or maybe I'm just odd, and you people forgive everybody, and it's just, you know, easy for you. But it's not for me. And I've had a front row seat to watch it over the years. I've watched people who, I've watched people who forgive in ways that, that just quite honestly blow my mind. I, I remember watching a, a family where their, their eighth grade son was killed in a tragic accident by a teenager whose family they knew, a teenager they knew who was, who was driving, and it was an accident, and, and their son was killed. And I, I watched them extend forgiveness to the young man. I mean, publicly say the words, we forgive you, but not just say the words, invite that young man to sit at the funeral with, with their family. I, I, I stood in awe at that. I, I've watched people whose spouses have have committed adultery, have been unfaithful to them, have been involved in infidelity, and, and, and I've watched them forgive their spouse and, and, and say to them, look, I know you're carrying blame. I know you're carrying guilt, but, but I, I love you anyway. I, I forgive you for what you've done to me. I, I forgive you for breaking your vows. I, I, I've seen people, I've seen people who who would forgive those who were in authority over them spiritually, pastors or, or leaders in Christian institutions who failed morally, who, who committed uh, basically a sin, uh, as one fellow said, against God and against God's people. And, and I've watched God's people forgive them. A front row seat to forgiveness is an amazing thing to see, but it's an even more amazing thing to receive. Because when you start singing forgiveness and forgiving becomes a part of your lifestyle and it becomes a part of what you're doing, then, then suddenly you begin to understand why Jesus makes such a big difference in the world, why what He teaches us is, is beyond what anything the world can, can teach us. You, you begin to understand that, that, that he, he has a different set of values. He sees the world differently. And right now, what, what we're living through, I mean, you're sitting in church, Socially distanced and wearing a mask. Anybody think you were going to do that like a year ago? All right. Uh, they'd be like, no. All right. Uh, I sure didn't think we would. And yet, here we are. And this is what's going on. The entire world is recalibrating. And God is recalibrating our hearts. And He's recalibrating our integrity. And He's recalibrating our service. He's recalibrating all of these things. And in the process, I, I, think, I think God is recalibrating forgiveness. I know, I know that there are riots in the streets. 
I mean, I, I know, I know there's, there's, there's institutional racism that has to be overcome. I, I know, I know that, that people are still dying of COVID-19. I know that there are families in this congregation who right now are dealing with isolation because of COVID-19, where, where husbands and wives are separated because one of them's in the hospital and the other one can't come visit them. I, I know, I, I hear the stories I had a friend who had a heart attack a few weeks ago, and his wife drove him to the hospital because he's having a heart attack. She lets him out at the emergency room so he can get treatment quickly, and she parks the car, and, go, and they won't let her in because he's having a heart attack. He, she, they live in a hot spot in Florida in one of the places where, where the cases are just coming up, and, 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 and there's, you know, I know we're living in the midst of a crazy, crazy world, and yet, and yet here's what I know. I know that God is recalibrating. And that God is not surprised, and that God has never been surprised by the things that happen to His people and to the church. And so we've been looking at the book of Acts. We've been, we've been going into the book of Acts, the story of, the, of God's work in the early church. And, and over the last few weeks, we've been following that story. And, and this, this, this morning, we're coming to a part of the story that is about the absolute greatest recalibration of forgiveness I've ever seen. It beats all the other things that I've told you about. It beats all the other things I've forgotten over the years. It, it is the greatest place of forgiveness because it, it's a place where, where human forgiveness isn't enough. It, it's a place where no human being could actually come up with this kind of forgiveness. And you see, recalibrated forgiveness is more than the, you know, the thing your parents used to do where you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You know, no, it's not that. This is greater than that. This, this type of recalibration it is the kind of thing where it begins to understand that, that forgiveness, recalibrated forgiveness, is a gift from God that, that does not come from our humanity. It, it just doesn't come from our humanity at all. There is no way as human beings we have the capacity to be able to forgive the way God can forgive through us. Listen to the story as I read it for you from Acts chapter, I'm going to start reading in chapter 6 at, uh, at, at verse, uh, let's start at verse, uh, verse 8. Uh, Acts chapter 6 verse 8, and, and it's the story of a guy named Stephen. Now we met Stephen in our, in our study of Acts last week. He was one of those seven men who was chosen. Uh, one of those seven Hellenistic Jews who was from, you know, an urban area and had come to Jerusalem for the Passover and was a part of the people who were converted on the day of Pentecost when the disciples began to, to speak in languages that they had never learned. And, and, now, and now suddenly he, he is one of the people who's serving the widows and the distribution of food. And in his service, God begins to use him. And if you remember when we read the passage last week from the early verses of Acts chapter 6, it, it said, it made a, a distinction about Stephen from the rest of the, from the other six, okay? The, the distinction was this. It's, it simply said, Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And, and as, as he was fulfilling that responsibility, God began to use him in an amazing way, not just in getting the food to the right people, but, but in actually impacting their lives. Listen from Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called, 
and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up on Stephen and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, for those of you who have not been with us on the journey so far, let me give you a couple of footnotes. First of all, these Hellenistic Jews, these people who had come from around the world into Jerusalem for, for the Passover and then were there for Pentecost, they were, they were there on pilgrimage, and, and yet they had within the Jewish faith, they, they had a special place. You see, they, they had their own synagogue. That's what's referred to here as, as the synagogue of the freedmen. It was a place where the, the more urban uh, Jewish people, the, the, the pa- people who, were, who spoke Greek fluently and, and could do the debating uh, with Greek philosophy, and then they would meet in that synagogue, and they would teach the law of Moses, and they would do, adhere to, the, to the, the testamental laws, and, and they would be a part of that in such a way that, that they would engage intellectually in, in that. And, and Stephen was one of those people. He came from that tribe, if you would. Those, that was his tribe. That was his group of people. And, and so there's also this thing called the Sanhedrin. We've talked about it for a few weeks. It's 61 people, the high priest and 60 others who were of the priestly family, who were the, 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 some of them Sadducees, some of them Pharisees. They represented, they were a two-party system, and they were the legislative power of Israel. And they were the ones who were to determine what was heresy and what was truth. And so when these Hellenistic Jews in the synagogue of the freedmen, who were from all these different places, began to argue with Stephen, and Stephen began to share with them about who Jesus was, as, as that thing began to, to, to fester in there, and they couldn't, they couldn't out-reason Stephen. Stephen was an intelligent man, and they couldn't out-reason him, so then, then, they began to, then they began to make up stories against him. Look at the stories uh, in, in the Scripture. Look and see. They, they could not withstand the wisdom, get this, and the spirit with which he was speaking. That's a huge thing. See, we're living in a world right now with more information coming down the pipe than it's ever happened. You have more in- information in your cell phone than previous generations would experience in their whole life. My father-in-law was an engineer with McDonnell Douglas Corporation. It's now owned by Boeing in St. Louis. He was an engineer with them for many, many years. And near the end of his career, what he was tasked to do was to design and build a three-football field-length room building to house the mainframe of the computer. And, and it, was, it, was just, it was the late 70s, early 80s. For those of you who weren't born yet, let me explain. They didn't have microchips then. It was all with tubes and heat, and they had to have all this stuff going. And, and, and so what, what my father-in-law did was design the cooling system and then help construct it. And I remember he gave me a tour through it. 
Um, and, and as we're going through this building, I mean, it's just, it's amazing how, how big it was and bulky. And, and he said, there's going to be more information here than in any other place. It's going to be amazing. Uh, fast forward about 30 years. My father-in-law was retired. He's watching his grandchildren play. And they're playing with a Texas instrument calculator. And my father-in-law looks at me and he says, you know, I checked the other day, Carrie. There is more computing capacity in that TI calculator that my grandkids are using for their math class than was in that 300-yard building. That's what a microchip did. That's the kind of change that, that went on in the world. That, that, that's why you can, you can Google anything. You can find any information. But here's what's going on. There's a difference in information and wisdom. And even when you have wisdom, there's a difference in how you share it. And what's going on with Stephen is that Stephen is sharing with them that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the information, of all the prophecy they've ever had. And as he's fulfilling that prophecy and he's sharing that with them, he's doing it in a spirit of love and grace and wisdom. Not of anger, not of animosity, not of confrontation, not of violence. It's, it's wisdom and love and they couldn't withstand it. They, they just, they, they, they couldn't out-argue him, and they couldn't out-love him, and so what do they do? They lie about him. <laughs> when, they, when, they, when, they can't, when they can't withstand the love, when they can't withstand the wisdom, they begin to make up lies. And so they said secretly to these guys, look, we want you to go out and tell these lies. Well, what were the lies? We've heard him speak blasphemy about Moses and this place. And they stirred up the people and the elders. And this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. We've heard him say this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, get this now, gazing at him, because for those of you who haven't been with us, let me, let me rephrase for you. When you were on trial by the Sanhedrin, by the council, they sat 61 chairs in a circle and you stood in the middle. They did this for Peter and, and, and John when they had healed the lame man, and it was Peter and John the lame man. They did this for the 12 disciples when they kept preaching about Jesus when they'd been told not to. And now here's Stephen, not one of the, not one of the apostles who wasn't around when Jesus was teaching in Galilee and all of that, but who had become a follower of Jesus after Pentecost and is now sharing the gospel to these people who are Jewish but who are Greek and who are Hellenists and they're from all different perspectives, and now they've got him in the same spot, and he's standing there all by himself. And they're going to pester him, pelter him, and get, investigate. They're going to they're take him to task for what he said, oh, for what these lies are about him. But everybody there, get this, the most spiritual people there, the most, I mean the most intellectual people in Israel, the most spiritual people in Israel, here's what they saw. They saw a man standing there whose face was like that of an angel. His face, his face began to, to take on this characteristic, this quality of the glory of God. 
Now, I, I, somebody commented to me, hey, pastor, uh, looks like you've been working out. Yeah, COVID, during the COVID thing, when I had to be home, I had to get out of the house some way. So I started walking four or five miles a day. This is what happens when you're my age and you walk four or five miles a day, all right? You chunk off a few pounds and your wife says, keep doing that. And so you keep doing that, all right? And, 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 and so um, in that process, I've been listening to Scripture. I, I've never been a listener to Scripture. I've been somebody who read Scripture, right? Had the big Bible out in front of me, you know, something like this. Read that thing, man. You got, you know, no, no, I'm starting to listen while I'm walking, right? Because it takes me a long time to walk four to five miles, all right? It's like, you can run it pretty quick, but I have to walk. It takes me a while. And so I'm listening to lots and lots of Scripture. And here's what I'm finding out. When I'm listening to Scripture and I'm listening to this Scripture this week, there's this, there's this guy who reads it. And when he gets to this point in it where it says, and his face began to glow like an angel, he changes his voice. And his voice changes from, this is the Word of God, to, and he sang, and he talked like this. And I'm like, what? See, when I read in the Bible about, about angels, they're messengers from God. And, and every time, every other time, I see like a real angel. You know what always comes with that one? Fear not. Why do you think they say fear not? Because angels are awesome. Angels will scare you. They show up in places you're not expecting them to be. You think you jump when your spouse comes around the, the corner or so you're walking and you're in a room, somebody walks in and says, hi, and you don't know they're there and you, ah, okay. Think about that if that's an angel. That angel is in the house. And now they're telling us that, that this man's face takes on that kind of glory that, that kind of reflection of God. Uh, you see, recalibrated forgiveness, the kind that can't come from any human being, that only comes as a gift of God, it, it begins to change us. Now, what Stephen does here, and I'm not going to read it for you. For those of you who are looking at the Scripture going, whoa, wait a minute. He starts talking, and he talks for like two chapters in the Bible, Right? Because he starts, they've accused him of being against Moses. So he goes beyond Moses and he starts with Abraham. And he recounts the history of Israel through Abraham and Moses and the prophets and brings it all the way down to Jesus. And in every place he talks about it. And this week, I want to encourage you, maybe tomorrow on Labor Day, take half an hour. You can read it in half an hour. And, and, and just read this. In fact, I want to say to you, if you're a middle school student or a high school student and you're listening to us or you're here, I just want to say to you, this is what Pastor Preston and our youth ministry team, Pastor Terry, what they're doing on Wednesday nights this year uh, here at the church outside is, is they're going back through the Bible and they're looking at all the places that can show you the entire story of God. And that's what Stephen does to the Sanhedrin. He takes them to the story they already know. It was a, a, an old Methodist pastor named Fred Craddock who used to say to preachers, you never get in trouble telling congregations new things from Scripture, but you always get in trouble telling congregations things from Scripture they already know but fail to live. That will always get you in trouble with your church, all right? And what Stephen does is he begins to tell them the story they think they know and remind them of how their ancestors, the ones they almost worship, the ones they're so proud of being descended from, how every one of them, how every one of them was rebellious to God and how they were rebellious to God. He tells them truth. And when he tells them truth, then, then he's telling them, get this, to forgive them. He's telling them so they will know that they have been forgiven. They will know who Jesus is, that Jesus came to forgive them for their rebellion. But yet, don't listen to that. 
See, recalibrated forgiveness allows us to forgive people who wrongly accuse us when we share the truth. All Stephen's been doing is sharing the truth with love and grace and wisdom, and now he's on trial for it. And what does he do? He shares truth again. And as he shares the truth again, and he looks at it with them, and they start, you can just feel it in the room. These are not happy people. These are the kind of people Fred Craddock was talking about. <laughs> and they get upset. What the Scripture says is they begin to gnash their teeth at them, okay? Um, but it really doesn't get nasty until Stephen stops talking about their ancestors and starts talking about them, all right? Look at what he does. He, he says, you stiff-necked people. I think he was picking a fight at that point in time. He's like, okay, I've told you. You told me I'm, gonna, I'm ruining Moses, and I'm going to tell No, I'm just going to tell you. This is the story, and you are just like your descendants. Uh, stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at it. Do you understand why I get a little perturbed at the guy reading the Bible to me on my phone when I'm walking, and he goes, and he was like an angel. Those are not words from a soft person. These are the kind of words that say, hey, you know what? Man, listen, if you don't shape up, you're going to ship out, all right? These are, these are the kind of words that say, hey, look, this is truth. Now, he's still sharing it with love. You say, how do you know, pastor? Because of what he keeps doing. See, they react exactly like you and I would. Hey, hey, hold on. What do you mean talking to me like that? I, don't you know we're the Sanhedrin? We're the Pharisees. We're the Sadducees. You're, you're just a Hellenistic Jew serving widows. No, no, listen. We, we, we're the ones with the power. Stephen says, no, you, no, you're not. No, you're not. And then he demonstrates it. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, Stephen was Stephen full of grace and wisdom because Jesus had changed his life, because he had been forgiven. See, Jesus forgave him in order that Stephen could forgive others. And, and recalibrated forgiveness is always given to us in order to be given through us. See, you weren't saved from the stuff in your life, the, the, the blame, the shame, the guilt whether it's warranted or unwarranted guilt, whether it's appropriate or inappropriate guilt, the stuff you carry around inside of you, you're not forgiven for that just so you can go, hey, cool, I'm forgiven. No, no, no. You're forgiven to forgive. What do you think Jesus said when he was teaching the disciples how to pray? When you're praying, pray words that sound like this. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, recalibrated forgiveness, recalibrated forgiveness is this forgiveness that, that we receive out of the abundance of the divine in our life. It changes us. And, and even when somebody lies about us, even when somebody is upset with us for telling them truth, if we tell it to them because we love them, if we tell it to them because we care for them, then what we're doing is we're sharing the love and we're sharing the forgiveness we've received so they can receive it too. Pastor, how do you know that? Well, look at what Luke writes. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, 
gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They literally put their hands over their ears. Like, we don't want to listen to this anymore. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. How do you think Luke knew what, what Stephen's face looked like? Luke traveled with Saul. Only when he traveled with him, his name was Paul. Because this, this is the beginning of Saul's conversion. Saul is in agreement that Stephen should be stoned, but he's watching the way Stephen dies. He's watching who Stephen is because, you see, in the Jewish law, when someone was condemned as Stephen was by the Sanhedrin, by the council, then on the way outside the city to be stoned, they were given a chance According to Jewish law, they were given the opportunity not to recant. They were still going to die, but to basically make their peace with God, okay? They were given an opportunity to say, I, I, you know, I, I was wrong, but, but God, I'm coming to you. They're going to kill me, and so I just need to make this right. And what does Stephen do? Stephen just keeps telling truth. Stephen just keeps saying, okay, I see God. I see Jesus at the right hand of God. I know I'm about to be there, Jesus, so just, you know, and, and man, these people are more angry than they've ever been. See, just because your forgiveness capacity is recalibrated by God so that the divine overcomes the human, just because you're able to forgive people who say bad things about you when you tell them the truth, just because you are a person who has been forgiven in order to forgive does not mean people receive the forgiveness well. That's why I told you earlier, I know there's rioting in the streets, I know there's cultural division going on. I know there's work to be done. There's always work to be done. Do you think this is the first time in the history of humanity there's been rioting in the streets? Do you think this is the first time in the history of humanity people have had to repent for what they've done to one another? Because, by the way, that is what needs to happen in order to let people know. There has to be repentance. And some of us have to repent for the things we've said and for the things we've done. Or else we're going to be just like the Sanhedrin offered forgiveness, witness to the divine, because I'm telling you, God's at work. Out of all of this pandemic, out of all of this chaos, out of all of this stuff that's happening in our world, God is still on the throne, and He is at work. And He may be wanting you to be a part of the work. He may be wanting you to be a voice that says, I forgive you, or a voice that says, will you forgive me? Recalibrated forgiveness always brings us to this place where Stephen was. And then this is why I'm telling you, of all the forgiveness I've seen in my life, this story is the most magnificent view of forgiveness short of the cross. Because on the cross, see, Jesus didn't just say, I forgive you. No. That would have been easy. He didn't have to die to do that. But what he did was he died on the cross for your sins. He proved his forgiveness of you by his actions.
He died so you could be free. He died so you could be brand new. He recalibrated the forgiveness factor. And Stephen had been forgiven by the recalibrated forgiveness. And so he's now sharing that forgiveness. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? You see, recalibrated forgiveness allows you to forgive even the people who sin against you. How do you know that? Well, first of all, it's what Jesus said from the cross. When he looked down at the people who were mocking him, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And now, Stephen, who was not there that we know of, on the day Jesus died, but who had been forgiven by the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ, who was a brand new person, who now stood in front of the greatest spiritual power he knew and testified to God's unfailing love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and had done it with a spirit of love and a spirit of truth. Now they're throwing the rocks at him. Now he's going to die. And look what happens. As they were stoning Stephen. Get that. The rocks are coming through the air. They're whistling against the air. They're hitting him. He's being pummeled. He knows he's going to die. And what does he say? Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And one or two or three of the rocks hit him, and he falls to his knees, and he knows he's breathing his last, and he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And if you keep reading into Acts chapter 8, the very first verse, it says, And Saul, who was holding the cloaks, Saul, who was a member of the synagogue of the freedmen, Saul, who was a student of Gamaliel, Saul, who would persecute the church, imprison and kill, Saul approved of his execution. In the moment, Saul wasn't receiving forgiveness. In the moment, Saul wasn't seeing grace. Saul was approving, yes, this man needs to die. But as he watched him die, something happened in Saul. God began a process. And Saul, Saul became the man who would be confronted by God, forgiven by God, and called to share that forgiveness just like you and me. It wasn't the first time that Jesus would pay the price through one of his disciples. It wasn't the first time that the disciples would see the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of God through Jesus. No, on the night that Jesus died, the night he was arrested and then died the next day. He was sitting at a Passover meal with his disciples. And he took bread. And he held the bread up and he said, you know what? From now on, this isn't a reminder about being freed from slavery in Egypt. This is a reminder of being forgiven and freed from the sin in your life. And then he took the cup. And he said, you know what, from now on, this cup is not about just the fact that the Passover lamb was slain and the blood put on the doorpost in Egypt. No, this, uh, this cup is about the fact that my blood is shed, my, my life is given. 
So you take a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, to celebrate his forgiveness. And if you're here today online or on campus and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this would be a great time to simply ask him to come into your life. He's already paid the price. Your sins are already forgiven. Just accept what he's done for you.